When our family moved from Georgia, one of the things that the church gave us kind of as a gift of memory was a nativity set. They gave us this nativity, and this nativity is unique and special because it is called the Mama Says nativity set, and it is made up of all little figures in the nativity that are children dressed up like, you know, the wise men and Mary and Joseph. So it has the faces and and likeness of all children. And you see that little nativity, I just put it up a couple weeks ago, and of course reminded of our time in Georgia, but reminded of this awesome, wonderful story. And there's just something beautiful about kids, even our own here, when we uh, our children, when they do the that nativity, that manger scene, uh, as the baby is in the manger and there's little kids all decked out as angels and shepherds, just something beautiful about it. The simplicity of that picture is awesome and beautiful, but when we think about the profound moment of God stepping into humanity, It is not simplistic or childlike at all. It is absolutely, mind-blowingly awesome. And because God is in control of all things, he showed his control throughout all of history to bring us to that moment when Jesus would step into humanity. Take your Bibles this morning and turn me to Luke chapter 2. We're going to pick up in verse number 1 as we... Think about this picture of Jesus and baby Jesus being in the manger. Luke chapter 2, beginning with verse number 1. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that the whole empire should be registered. This first registration took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So everyone went to be registered, each to his own town. Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea on the the, the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family line of David, to be registered along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was pregnant. While they were there, the time came for her to give birth. Then she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him tightly in cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. With that, let's pray together. God, I ask that you would take our time together and, Lord, that you would speak and move. And, God, that we may be reminded that you are in control. In your name, amen. God is in control. He is absolutely sovereign over all things. And because God is in control and sovereign over all things, he challenges us in the way that we should trust him. How do we respond to God being in control? We trust him. Now, as we think about the Christmas story, the Christmas story started long before Jesus was laid in a feeding trough in Bethlehem. We see the sovereign hand of God unfolding throughout the Old Testament as we anticipate the coming of Jesus. So that with the first sin of Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 3, we find that 
the Lord would speak, the Lord God would speak to the serpent and say, I'm going to put enmity or this rivalry between you and the woman and between her seed and your seed. And he will crush your head and you will bruise his heel. With the first sin in the Old Testament, the book of Genesis, we find God preparing a way of salvation in sending the Messiah. God was going to send the a, a woman who was going to bear a son. That's what he's saying. There's going to be the seed that's going to come, and the one who's going to come from the woman is going to crush the head of the serpent, and you are merely going to bruise his heel. Throughout the Old Testament, as we walk through, we find what this ultimately would look like. In Genesis chapter 12 and verse number 3, when the Lord called Abraham out of Ur of the Chaldees, he says to him in Genesis 12, 3, I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you, and through you all the people of the world will be blessed. What's he saying there? That the Messiah is going to come through the family lineage of Abraham, that he would be Jewish. So all the way back in the Old Testament, Genesis 3, he's going to come from a woman. Genesis 12, he's going to come through the family of Abraham. Genesis chapter 49 and verse number 10. We're coming to the end of the book of Genesis, and we find that the Lord is speaking uh, blessing over each of the 12 tribes. And to the tribe of Judah in Genesis 49.10, it says, and the scepter shall shall never depart from Judah. In other words, Judah, there's going to be a kingly line that is going to come through you. The lawgiver will never leave from between his feet. In other words, he's going to be right down your lineage. And the picture is until Shiloh comes or until the Messiah comes. So the Lord is sovereignly putting his plan together. Born of a woman, family of Abraham, of the tribe of Judah. Then we turn over to 2 Samuel 12, Uh, chapter 7, verses 12 and 13. And we find that David is promised that in his inheritance, there will be one who will reign on the throne forever. So that in the line of David, there is going to come one who's going to sit on the throne, not just for a short period of time, but for all time. Obviously, we again pick up and know that Jesus was going to come through the line of David. Then, as we looked at last week, Isaiah, some 700 years before Jesus would come, would say, the Lord himself is going to give you a sign. The virgin is going to conceive and bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel. So the Lord, through his sovereign hand, is working through the seed of a woman, through the family of of Abraham, through the tribe of Judah, through the lineage of David, born of a virgin. And in Micah chapter 5 and verse number 2, he would be born in the city of Bethlehem. God, as we look back at the Christmas story, we see fulfillment, fulfillment, fulfillment. God has his sovereign hand in absolute control over all of the details leading up to Jesus in Luke 2, where he is born in Bethlehem and laid in a manger. But can I tell you, God was not just sovereign back in the Old Testament. He's in control today. Some of you, as you look at your life, and you look back at your life history, and you thought, man, 
I was really going through a painful time, but God was using that. God closed the door here, but God used that closed door to open something else and to show me, to bring me to where I would be here right now. There were relationships the Lord just slammed shut and so that you would get and marry the right person. There were, there were times when you went through these deep, dark valleys and you didn't even know if you were going to, to emerge from them, but the Lord carried you and strengthened you and sharpened you and gave you a clearer focus, and you not only emerged greater and more strong in the Lord, but then the Lord would open a door so that he would turn your disappointments into doors of opportunity because he is sovereign. And that has brought you here today. Some of you grew up in a Christian home where you've always heard the gospel. Others of you, the Lord has used different paths and different people in his sovereign plan to bring you to a point where you have come to know Jesus as your savior. We look back at our life and we see God's sovereign hand working and moving to bring us to this place where we are today. And the truth of the matter is, is how do we respond to a sovereign God today? We trust him. Hebrews eleven six reminds us, without faith, it is impossible to please God. And the God who is sovereign in the Christmas story is sovereign in the Christian story. So trust him. Trust him. And as you look back and see the hand of God and how he has moved, you can anticipate the hand of God moving in your life in the future as well. But let's think back about God's sovereignty and let's think about God's sovereign hand in using the people and using the the situation around this birth to show and to finalize his plan in bringing Jesus to the earth. First off, God's hand is clearly shown in the heart of Mary. God's hand is shown in the heart of Mary. In verse number five of Luke chapter two, we find that that Joseph goes and he takes Mary to be registered with him. And in the CSB, the Christian Standard Bible, it says that they are an engaged couple. We would look at the older versions and say that they were betrothed. They had uh, made a wedding or a marriage commitment, but they had not uh, involved themselves in a physical relationship of marriage yet. And so we find that Joseph then is taking Mary with him to be registered. But that's not the first time that we see Mary in the Gospel of Luke. If you look back just a page to Luke chapter 1 and pick up in verse number 26, you find that the angel appears to Mary and says, oh, Mary, you know, you are highly favored among the Lord, and she is kind of freaked out at that moment, as most of us would be if we had an angel come into our our life. And the angel says, greetings, the Lord's with you. She's deeply troubled. And the angel says, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You're going to conceive and give birth to a son, and you will call his name Jesus. He will be great and be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. Then she asked the question, how can this be? And the Lord says, the Holy Spirit's going to move in your life. And then in Luke chapter one, in verse number 38, look at Mary's heart. Notice what it says. I am the Lord's servant. May it be done to me according to your word. I'm the Lord's servant. May it be to me according to your word. She trusted. As God looked at all across the land of 
of Jerusalem, his people, he finds this one woman who has this heart, obviously a heart of faith, obviously a heart of devotion. And she would say, Lord, whatever you call me to do, I'm willing to do it. Now, you have to understand and recognize that this was no easy task. And there are times in our life when God does call us to do hard things and transition from life as we had planned to move in a direction that may be far different than the dream that we had for our life. Mary is told, you're going to conceive, but that conception is going to be from the Holy Spirit. And now she is inviting through her saying yes the challenges of life she has to explain to joseph an angel appears to joseph but listen there's a whole lot of family and friends out there that the bible doesn't say any angels appeared to you have to think how do you tell your parents how do you tell your siblings how do you deal with your friends And yet the Lord would look at her life and say, she would take the criticism, she would take the rebuke, the antagonism of those that were around her because God called her to do something. And we see his sovereign hand in her sweet heart. Now we understand and recognize that that though Mary was highly favored among uh, uh, the women of that day, that Mary still needed a savior as well. She wasn't perfect, just like us. There were times in her life she fell short, and she needed Jesus as well. But when it came time to say, who's willing to carry the Son of God? Mary said, may it be to me according to your word. God's sovereign hand in the heart of Mary. Secondly, we see God's sovereign hand in the decree of Caesar. In the decree of Caesar, Gaius Octavius was born around 63 BC. His father died at a young age, and because his father died at a young age, he then went to go work for Julius Caesar, and Julius Caesar was his great uncle. He then took Caesar as part of his name, and then after the death of Julius Caesar, He took on the name Caesar Augustus and became the first real Roman emperor. That's the Caesar Augustus that we're looking at here. And in Luke chapter 2 and verse number 1, it says that, that in those days, Caesar Augustus offers this decree that there is going to be this taxation, or really it's a census. There's a census that's going to take place. And as this census is going to take place, we find that that the Lord begins to, to, to move sovereignly in the hand, in the hand of the king in order to bring Mary and Joseph to Bethlehem at just the right time. See, Caesar Augustus did exactly what he wanted to do. He issued a census, but it was exactly at the time when God wanted them to do it. Now understand this with me. As we look back, take your Bibles, if you you have it, look back with me in Proverbs chapter 21, verse 1. There's a great verse that reminds us of the sovereignty of God. It says this, a king's heart is like channeled water in the Lord's hand. He directs it wherever he chooses. 
what a, what a picture here. So that Caesar Augustus did exactly what he wanted to do, but superseding this process, the Lord was guiding this pagan king who was doing exactly what he wanted to do, to do it, and then to do it at the exact time when Mary and Joseph would end up in Bethlehem. That's the hand of our God. That's the sovereign control that he absolutely shows. The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. And listen, there are things going on today. And sometimes we think, man, the whole world's gone crazy and everybody's out of control. And can I tell you, God's still on the throne. And can I tell you today, the king's heart is still in the hand of the Lord. And there are certain things that the Lord will allow them to do. And there will be certain things that even in their own will, the Lord will decree for them to do. And they will do it according to his will, having not even known it was there. It was his will. That's Caesar Augustus. He didn't know this was God's will. But guess what? God superseding this process, it was God's will. You say, how do you understand and explain that? You just have to say God's sovereign. God's sovereign. So that Galatians 4, 4 came true. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law. Jesus came in God's time. This was shown to be God's time. God's hand shown and in the heart of Mary, in the decree of Caesar. Thirdly, God's hand shown in the life of Joseph, in the life of Joseph. Remember, Joseph was a just man. He he thought about just how can I put away Mary privately, and then he comes to that place of saying, uh, you know, I'll I'll do what God's told me to do. uh, In Matthew 1, the angel speaks to him. But what we find is, is Joseph is of the right lineage, He is of the family of David, and because he's related to David, he has to go back to the hometown of of great-great-great-great-great-grandparents and their register. So he goes back to Bethlehem, and after going all the way back to Bethlehem, we find that he is there at the right time, at the right place. And you have to remember now, Mary is very pregnant. I don't know about you, but when my wife was very pregnant, I didn't really want to travel that much. She definitely didn't want to travel that much. But Joseph was diligent and did exactly what the Lord wanted him to do. And they traveled. And this was not like just, you know, you know, a walk from here to the cube. I mean, this involved some camping and night stays and a lot of walking. And the Lord knew and saw Joseph's heart. And because of that, that's who the Lord chose to stand as the one who would be the father, the earthly father of the Lord Jesus on earth. And again, Joseph, were his parents alive? Did he have siblings when Mary was pregnant? Was his life scandalized? Were there gossip? Uh, Was there gossip around him? Were people whispering when Mary and Joseph came up and then they would quit talking? You have to think this was not an easy moment. And yet Joseph is there absolutely obedient to the call of the Lord on his life. God's hand is shown in the life of Joseph. Fourth, we find God's hand is shown in the city of Bethlehem. God's hand is shown in the city of Bethlehem. We find here that 
the city of Bethlehem would be the place that Micah would prophesy that the one who would be the ruler is going to come through this Bethlehem Ephrata, Bethlehem, this, this city that's small among the thousands of Judah. And yet this would be the city where, where Ruth would come and then Ruth and, and, and then Jesse's line would come down through that line, David's family. And so they would go back to Bethlehem. We don't get to pick what city we're born in when we're babies. I hear of stories where people have had babies on, you know, in cars and on planes. And sometimes people have their babies at home. Most of us just go to the hospital. And like many of you, probably I was born here in St. Louis in a hospital. And, and the, the picture is, is, but this baby was different. This baby, the son of God, was proclaimed to be born in Bethlehem, and yet they lived in Nazareth. And so it was that the time for her to be delivered took place while they were in Bethlehem. There, the city. The word Bethlehem itself, the word Beth in Hebrew means house of, the word lehem means bread. And so we find that there in the city called the house of bread would come the bread of life. And what a beautiful picture for this day. Because we understand and recognize that that bread was what people ate every day. This was part of their daily life. And Jesus would come not just with physical bread, but with spiritual bread. Remember in the Old Testament, it was called the spiritual bread. That was manna of the Old Testament. And now Jesus is stepping onto the scene in Bethlehem. And he would declare in John six thirty five, I am the bread of life. There in the house of bread, the bread of life came so that we could live not just physically, but spiritually and eternally. Fifth, we find that God's hand is not just shown in the city of Bethlehem, but God's hand is shown in this baby in the manger. This baby in the manger. When I was in children's ministry, we used to sing uh, a song. My God is so big, so strong, and so mighty, there's nothing my God cannot do. My God is so big, so strong, and so mighty, there's nothing my God cannot do. The mountains are his, the rivers are his, the stars are his handiwork too. My God is so big, so strong, and so mighty. There's nothing my God cannot do. And then we look in a manger. And the bigness and greatness of God has taken on flesh. And there... This big and great and strong God is now dependent, vulnerable, helpless, 
the God of the Old Testament who would say that we are, uh, that, that underneath us are the everlasting arms, would now find that he would be pulled into the arms of his mother Mary and his earthly father Joseph. This is an amazing and unprecedented moment. Now, anytime there's the birth of a baby, it is just like a God moment. Being in the delivery room with Luke, I was in there and the, there was a little a training nurse. I think it was her first time actually to be in a delivery room. And when Luke was born... I I wept, and this little girl, she didn't know us she from anybody. And she wept because of the awesomeness of this amazing event of bringing a baby into the world. And I'll just tell you, I, when Joel was born and Micah was born, Josh was born, just tears. This was just an awe moment. It's challenging when Joel was born. He was wiggly, and the doctor, as, as Julie's delivering, they knew that she, there was some duress, and they said, we have a tight wrap, times three, no times four. He came out in space, all bluish purple, and the doctor begins to rub on his back and says, come on, buddy, come on, buddy, come on, buddy. And he takes that first breath, and he lets out this loud cry, and it was like, Man, amazing, awesome, what a blessing. And so, at this moment, Jesus has come. And it was a moment of awe. But it was awe beyond words and description. As the word became flesh, and dwelt among us. And the one who was so strong and so mighty humbled himself to be laid in a little feeding trough of hay and have some clothes tightly wrapped around him. Do you ever wonder if God loves you? You have to look no further than a baby in a manger to see God loves you and that this baby would grow and live a perfect life and ultimately give his life so that we could be saved, which brings us to the last thought. God's hand is shown in the offering of salvation. God's hand is shown in the offering of salvation. Puritan writer Thomas Watson put it this way, he was poor that he might make us rich. He was born of a virgin that we might be born of God. He took our flesh that he might give us his spirit. He lay in the manger that we may lie in paradise. He came down from heaven that he may bring us to heaven. That the ancient of days should be born, that he who thunders 
in heaven shall cry in a cradle. Paul would put it this way in 2 Corinthians 8, 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you, through his poverty, might be rich. There's a call. That call is not from a manger. And it's not from a cross. And it's not even from an empty tomb. But there is a call from heaven today. That Jesus was born and lived a perfect life and he died and he rose. There's a call from heaven today. That Jesus says you can be saved. That's why I came. That last verse of the song, Away in a Manger. Be near me, Lord Jesus. I ask thee to stay close by me forever and love me, I pray. Bless all the dear children in thy tender care and fit us for heaven. Prepare us for heaven to live with thee there. You may have heard the Christmas story a thousand, a hundred thousand times. The truth is, is if you just look back at the sovereign hand of God in a manger, you've missed the point. If you look at the sovereign hand of God, even at the cross alone, you've missed the point. Jesus lived Jesus died, Jesus rose, and he calls out today, I can be near you. Emmanuel can come in your life and save you today. Do you know that you know Jesus? The Bible says that all of us have sinned, and because we've sinned, we have fallen short of God's plan and God's perfect heaven for us. But Jesus came, lived a perfect life, and died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sin. And he rose again and now offers us the free gift of eternal life. Be near me, Lord Jesus. I ask thee to stay. Jesus can come into your life and change you today and fit you for heaven to be with him there. Would you bow your head and close your eyes and let's take a moment and pray together. And Lord, I I do pray that you would be near. Lord, if there's anyone here who doesn't know Jesus as Savior, they'd never made that decision to trust you alone as the only way of salvation. I pray today they would say yes to you. Lord, if there are those of us who are believers and you have a call on our life, maybe a call like that may be hard, challenging. You may call us to take a stand against a world where we're scandalized. Lord, give us the grace and the strength to say yes to you. Lord, we know you're in control. May we live by faith. In the powerful name of Jesus.